Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of responsibility. I mean, it comes down to responsibility. And in a way, this whole conversation is about responsibility. It's about all of our responsibility for all that's around us and our, our world and, and all of that. And the responsibility and the accountability is to set the right direction. When you're taking a direction that is untraveled, it is even more, um, you know, and therefore highly risky. Um, it is even more difficult to, um, to do that with confidence and bring people with you. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that story comes from the co-founder of Reset and chair of Springwise, James Bidwell, who believes in order to change the world, one must assume and inspire a greater role of responsibility. Throughout today's discussion, Bidwell shares how consumers are becoming more conscientious, the threat of big tech on capital markets, and why now is the time to reset your own path. So without further interruption, may I introduce to you episode 187 with the real James Bidwell. Enjoy. Uh, show and ask questions be a part of the show, uh, hit that link and come on over here to the live stream and, and say hello to James and myself. But with that being said, folks, let's get this show on the road here. Here we go now. In five, four, three, two, and one. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is the co-founder of Reset and owner and chair of Springwise, Mr. James Bidwell. James, thanks for being with us today. Fantastic to be here, Kevin. Thanks for inviting me. Very excited to talk to you today. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. Your reputation precedes you. Uh, I hope that uh, our audience can get to know you a little bit better here today, James, and how you think, why you've made the choices you've made in your career. So let's start with this. I'm going to jump right into it. What is the purpose of business to you? So the purpose of business to me has changed um, significantly since I started out, you know, 25 years ago. Today, it is really simple. Um, it is to be a force for change and a force for positive change and a force for dealing with many of the problems that we have in the world, but at the same time, making it a more equitable, prosperous, climate-friendly um, world to live in. And business, because of the failure of governments to really get on this agenda and, and really make the right change happen. I think business has a unique opportunity and role and purpose. And that has changed from when I started in my business career, which, when it was the purpose of business was really only to make money. Mm. And it's very exciting after all those years to see modern business being um, more purposeful. Not all of it, of course. We're just at the beginning of those checks. I do believe in them. James, I'm going to attempt to dissect what you just said and ask you a few questions based on your answer. 
what agenda are we talking about here? Is there an end goal for the force for good? And uh, when you yeah, when you say agenda, when you say goal, what are we trying to achieve here? What is the ultimate objective? So look, I mean, I think we could spend a long time dissecting that, and we could go down many many routes. The the route that I feel most passionately about is the um, the issue of climate change um, and the sustainability agenda. And it is clear that if we do not solve that fairly rapidly, and you live in California, so you're sitting in a state with ravaged by fires that are more and more um, extreme every year. Uh, I'm here in Europe and we have our own problems. Mm. Um, and it is man-made. You know, we are polluting our world. We are delivering carbon into the world that cannot be sucked out. And um, we're the lucky ones. So we could go and talk about some of the places in the world where there is mass migration that is called, caused by climate change, um, droughts, and all of those things. So if humanity is going to survive and prosper um, in generations to come, we need to, this generation needs to act, and we need to act now. And I know I'm not the only person talking about this, which is, which is good, but there are still too many people who aren't talking about it. And um, so for me, business has an opportunity to push that agenda and solve this, the most um, pressing problem that we have um, as a human race. Okay, so ultimate objective, reduce climate change, at least to a point that it doesn't affect mankind. Is that, is that the goal to save mankind? Is it is the goal to restore the lands, to save species? What do you think is going to drive this economy when it comes to sustainability and social impact and the entrepreneurs that are innovating around the world? What do you think is going to drive them to do something like this? It's such a great question, Kevin, because um, the, the interesting thing is that nature, mother nature will probably be okay. It's just us humans that won't be. So if there is catastrophic climate change, nature will reinvent itself. And you, I was watching a program about the redwoods uh, last night actually and you know how they have this incredible ability to withstand generations and generations and still come back but but the human race doesn't have that ability what will drive it and this is the exciting thing and this is what i work on most of my time now is the intersection of innovation and creativity with addressing this problem so the use of innovation technology to drive the change and come up with the solutions. So the thing about climate change is we haven't got all the solutions yet, but we are moving you know, rapidly towards um, finding those solutions. And then of course, the, 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 the objective is for businesses to actually deploy them. But I believe innovation, and um, which has accelerated significantly in the last year with COVID and because a lot of people have been forced to innovate, will be part of that solution. Mm. But business, to put its power, its money, its influence, and impact behind those innovations in order to deploy them to, to make radical change. There's an agenda out there uh, called the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. We are partners of and signatories of. We go to conferences, or at least we used to in New York, to hear people from the General Assembly speak around the world about these topics. Do you see any flaws in this goal setting? And when I say this, this is where I'm coming from, James. I'm coming from the angle of if you're trying to live a healthy lifestyle, you don't tell yourself you're going to lose 20 pounds. 
because we all know when you lose 20 pounds, you're going to gain that right back. And even faster, you even become more out of shape, out of weight. It's a mindset change you have to do with yourself first. The goal is the wrong goal. So do you see any flaws in this goal by 2030? Look, I think the goals are an admirable framework. And it's, it's very, very useful to have something that is globally recognized as a framework and a framework which identifies the issues, as you say, and breaks them down. And we, we are also signatories. But the, the real thing is, I think this is what you're getting at, Kevin, is translating that into reality. Mm, right. And in a business contemplating that into a reality which is palatable for the shareholders, the, the staff, the customers, and all of those things. And that's where the B Corp movement comes in. And we are a um, proud B Corp for both Springwise and uh, Reset. And what the B Corp makes you do is to sign up to um, a framework and accountability, if you like, which forces you to change the way you do business. And it forces you to um, consider all stakeholders. It forces you to look at diversity. It forces you to look at carbon, uh, your, your carbon impact, your circularity. All of those issues are then through the accreditation, and it is a tough accreditation. It took us um, 15 months to get to. But now we have a new structure for the way we run our business, which is dedicating it to positive change. And the reason me, I as a, as a shareholder, I'm happy about that is because at the moment it gives me huge competitive advantage. So I'm better than the big consultancies because they can't say that they're a B Corp because they're doing all sorts of stuff that they shouldn't do. They don't talk about it much, but it does get in the press. And um, it helps me attract the best teams. So the, bet, the best talent because and this, I, this is a topic we could, we could talk more about later, but the, the next generation of leaders and the next generation of talent really care about this issue and really care about a more purposeful business environment than just the old paradigm of making lots of money for investors, and that's it. So when you're saying the purpose of business to be a business is a force for good, and we've got what, you know, spring wise for people listening out there, accelerator, uh, social entrepreneurs coming in, you're giving them advice, you're giving them connections, you're growing the organization like an incubator program. What stands out to you among the successful companies? And what is the new mentality like you just alluded to in terms of this focus on more than just the bottom line? It's a great idea. So, so for those of you who are listening who don't know what Springwise is, and it's easy to look at, but um, at springwise.com, it's a global network of innovators um, and innovations. And the Springwise editorial team published the top innovations that they see around the world every day. So we publish the top three each, each day. And the idea is that, first of all, those innovators get oxygen of meet an audience of maybe 100,000 people um every couple of weeks with their innovation and then the people who are interested and curious about the innovations that are going to come through and um, drive the change that is needed um springwise is the place to go to it so the thing that strikes me and i've i've been involved with springwise for five years is that over that time the change from in those days it was like it was kind of more like a product hunt kind of thing it was you know lots of new ideas it was 
Um, quite a lot of quite a lot of it was startups that were kind of going to make lots of money and lots of tech. And what's shifted is that the type of innovator that is coming through are those who are really inventing innovations that are going to make change to people's lives and help on the sustainability agenda. So examples like um, you know seaweed packaging, new ways of um, kind of trapping carbon, all of those kind of new new ideas that are really dedicated to kind of making the world a better place as well as making successful entrepreneurs. And the rise in the ESG agenda, which we which we know about, um, has has kind of driven a movement, um, and particularly amongst entrepreneurs who are kind of almost have that in their DNA. Some of the new entrepreneurs mm -hmm. coming through, where they really care about the social impact, the positive impact, rather than just uh, making the money. Do you believe they get in the business to change the world, or do they get in the business to make money and change the world? So I'm um, I'm just involved in a little business uh, which is uh, called Spherix in the UK, which has just launched, and the founder definitely wants to make money, but he's going to do it through changing the world. And I think um, the where I look at it, and I'm I'm a bit like that. You know, I'd like to make money as well, and we do well, and we're profitable, and we're successful, so we can pay our teams well and and you know we're not sort of waiting for handouts we do the best work around on innovation and sustainability but at the same time we give one percent of our sales to one percent of the planet and we we do a lot of good things with that and we influence a lot of senior leaders to to make the changes in their businesses um, that they need to do and we convince them uh, by helping them understand how they're going to make more money rather than you know hitting them on the you know hitting them on the head with, you know, you must do sustainability because the world's going to end. It's, it's, a very, um, it's a very sound business strategy. So I think this new generation are marrying us with profit and the, cl the clever CEOs are doing that. When it comes to, you mentioned tech. As an investor, like, is tech shiny for you? Well, tech is, is for me an enabler. So most businesses that we look at do have tech in them and they need to have, um, you know, if they're reaching a lot of customers or they have a, have ambitions um, to scale. And um, so tech is more of an enabler than a kind of means to an end. Mm. Uh, there's a, so I, I, you know, we look at it, we understand it, it's, but it's, it's definitely an enabler and there's good sides and bad sides, but most businesses that we would look at are, it, you know, as an invent from an investment point of view, if you believe you want to scale something, you're you're going to be technology. Um, you know, te technology is going to sit in the middle of that. Uh, so, for entrepreneurs listening to this out there, um, what uh, when it comes to tech, when it comes to an algorithm or some type of IP, what <laughs> sticks out to you as an investor? Is it the IP? Is it that it's their own is it that it's um you know adaptable and or is it that it's just the core functionality of the tech that they're using that's going to expand their reach like what what about tech should a social entrepreneur be looking into so so as a as an investor the first thing that i always look at as as you can imagine i'm going to say this is the team you know the team are always going to be what's going to make the success um and um in terms of how how we how they would look at tech i think it's do that you know how do you how are you going to make your proposition your customer proposition 
you know, reach more people, be more efficient, be more effective through the use of technology. So I would start with the customer, who is your customer, and then how are you going to enable your business to scale and, and be a brilliant business through the use of technology. So um, that's always how I look at it, is what is the proposition, who's the buyer, who's going to give you money for it one day, and therefore, you know, what do you need to do to, to get that to happen? When it comes to the customer, then, if you're building a business around the customer, do you believe that customers in today's day and age are going to pay more on average for a sustainable premium product versus something at a lower price? I think some customers will. And um, so examples are, you know, the, the well-worn exam example is Patagonia, where they have a premium customer base, you know, relatively expensive clothes, which um, I, I, I love. And, you know, they have his, always put the purpose before the profit. And of course, they've now ended up as a very profitable business. So often these trends start in the more luxury high-end um, space. And, you know, there are people with more money and, you know, you, you can look at the travel industry and people would like to go and stay in nice, sustainable, eco-friendly hotels, um, you know, and they, but they're expensive. The question is when um, when that moves into the mass market, and you know, can you go shopping on the high street and buy a, a t-shirt for five pounds, and can you have um, sustainability sustainability baked into that? And would someone pay five pounds for a sustainable t-shirt and four pounds for a you know for when when they could get one that's exactly the same but not sustainable for for um for four pounds for example or four dollars sorry to um <clears throat> be in the english currency we still have it um so look i think it's going to come because i think it will become the norm and i think what um yeah, but i think at the moment there is there is choices and some people just simply can't afford to spend money on you know they they don't have the money and the um I think the responsibility of businesses is to bake in sustainability to their whole supply chain in order that they can still deliver their $4 t-shirt, but it's a sustainable one where the whole pe where the people in the supply chain are paid the right amount of, 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 of wages and the cotton isn't polluting rivers and all of those sorts of things. And my, my experience um, here is that, and I think actually Europe's quite good on, you know, leading on some of these things is that there are brands who are really doing a lot of work on this and they're mass brands. And when, of course, you get the critical mass of three or four big, say five, $10 billion brands doing those changes, then you can shift the whole industry. And not only is, is, is that good for all of the people involved in the, um, in the chain of um, the supply chain and, and the industry, but also for customers and and it's very it's a very strong competitive advantage because if you've got scale you can do it at the right cost. So it's a complicated answer to your question, but I I believe that yes people will pay a premium now. There's evidence, and that will go into the the broader mass market over time. Interesting. And what also is interesting to me is that Patagonia is a privately held organization, and so when you're talking about those other organizations who are going to get together and make this change and change the industry. Most of the time, these are just privately held organizations with private funds, not uh, publicly traded, uh, where you do have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder value. Do you think, now you mentioned the stakeholders, maximizing stakeholder value and including those and incorporating them and the ultimate shift that you can have 
within your community, within your customers, within your supply chain. You've touched on all those different points. But are we really going to see the change that we need to have in this world if public corporations are going to continuously make decisions that are going to produce quality products at a lower price than Patagonia? It's the key question, Kevin. And um, I always, you know, like you just have say, it's fantastic that Yvonne Chouinard has been able to remain private. And probably yeah. he always says, you know, if I wasn't private, I wouldn't have been able to do all this stuff because right. my shell would have, would have kicked me out. What I'm seeing in the UK and in Europe, which is very encouraging, is, is that the investment community are now taking this seriously and they are now um, thinking about this and putting pressure on their, their CEOs of the businesses where they have big holdings to look at um, sustainability as more than what it has historically been was um, you know, an ESG box ticking you know, kind of just go through the motions and and make as much money as possible. There is a fundamental um, fundamental shift that is required, which is the articles of association we call them in in the UK, which is what B Corp make you do, which is they make you consider Planet and all these other stakeholders. And at the moment, the um, the kind of the, the listed companies don't have to do that. Um, but the investors have a lot of clout, as we all know. It's the, the guys and girls with the money, but it's normally guys, unfortunately, are you know are definitely getting onto this. But the other thing I would say, and I see this working with some of the CEO clients that we work with on Reset, where we develop um, strategies for sustainability, is when they see that their customers and their staff are are going are really positive about this agenda and really want to make this agenda uh, happen, um, you can see the, you can almost see the changes coming. And um, as soon as, and that of course then is a competitive advantage and it's good for retention of people and it, it makes the, the business more successful. So you do need to translate that into profit um, and increase profit. And perhaps more importantly, particularly as we've just been through COVID or we're still going through it, um, is the resilience point. So I would argue that um, businesses that are more purpose-driven are more resilient. And um, we have an example here that we have a, something called a furlough scheme in the UK, which is where the government bailed out, um, you know, when com companies shut um, because they, they had to shut because of COVID. And um, B Corps were mu required much less support from governments than the average the average company. Now that's a bit of a generalization and some are big and some are small and all of that, but it's a direction of travel and it's a, it's a green shoot, if you like, that, sh that shows that companies who are operating along these lines are beginning to be successful and beginning to break through. It, it seems like that, like that is the case throughout um, these last couple of years when it comes to also the cancel culture. Uh, it seems like the companies that uh, are more purpose-driven are less likely to be take you know take the heat, uh, if you will. So I think from another standpoint with social media and tech, it's also just a great thing to know and be transparent with your organizations. How does transparency uh, impact your organization from an employee level to a consumer products level as well? Look, I mean, transparency is. Um... It's a it's a big buzzword and it's great it's a great to talk about and hard to do. Mm. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of um, certainly in the big corporations that kind of the pay transparency and all of those kind of discussions which um, 
you know, which remain, uh, you know, always a big issue at the shareholder meetings. I think what I what I feel is in terms of leadership, and there's there's some a great CEO who's running one of the biggest um, one of the biggest beauty businesses in the world, and it's um, he's a good friend of mine, and he he has a very flat leadership style, so he has a very transparent leadership style and he's and then and actually um it's a it's a very progressive in in the environmental side of things as well and so it's a much flatter structure it's a much more collaborative and therefore by definition it's 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 more transparent and and that transparency of um decision making is is kind of outsourced a little bit from the the office of the ceo and goes through into the into the um into the the whole of the organization and that that drives accountability and it creates a framework or a model which is i think easier to manage in some ways because it's much more agile um uh, so so with transparency and honesty and trust you can be more agile because you can move quicker when you need to move quicker and you can rely on people to do that mm. so i'm always very impressed when i hear him talk about his business and he's he's been very successful in in growing that business so it's successful as a as a commercial venture it's also i think not it's listed but it's it's majority controlled by a by a family when it comes to agility uh we saw that companies that had remote workplaces during covid were very agile they're able to adapt uh, quite well uh, with not being able to see each other and be face to face have that social contact now springwise you have scouts in all around the world uh what are some things that you see coming in terms of decentralization, mobility, the global citizen, the global consumer, the global company. What does that look like ten years down the road for you? I think ten years quite a long quite a long time five. to get me to try to predict, Kevin. <laughs> but yeah, five years old. So look, I think there's going to be significant change. We do quite a lot of work with the city of London and in, in looking at how cities are going to evolve, how how neighborhoods are going to evolve. I think there is a huge push towards local and, you know, there's a city in the UK now that they're going to try and make it into the 15 minute city. So you can get to anything you need within a 15 minute walk. Um, the age of the car in the city has got to be going as soon as possible. It's ridiculous. Um, the 98% of the time the cars in London are not used. They're sitting cluttering up the street streets. And as someone said, that car park space would be a brilliant place to have a game of table tennis, etc. So, the greening of cities, the um, localization of um, growing food, I think, is really interesting in city in some city um, spaces, and that's being trialed. We see that quite a lot, um, and the way people get around. So, in COVID, uh, what is allowed people to do is to develop this kind of remote working, and I think that people still want to go to the office. And our our guys, we we've got twenty five people, and they want to go back to the office. We want to see each other, but we don't need to be in the office every day, you know, five days a week and all of that. So the use of space and how do you design space for the next, um, for the post COVID era is going to be a brilliant challenge for the architects. Um, you know, the, the, the architects who are, who are thinking about all of that now, and it will be very different. Um, the landlord has had a fantastic run of things because it's the landlords have been fairly passive. They've let their building and then they're full of people in offices or full of retailers, 10-year leases and all of that kind of stuff. And what's exciting is they now need to be much more creative to think about you know, how people are going to behave. So I see, um, I see a hybrid model emerging. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like. 
I see um, cars cars being eliminated slowly out of some out of cities, and Amsterdam are doing a lot of that at the moment. It's it's they charge a huge amount if you want to have a car in a city. Mm. We need regulation and tax to to do that, and of course in Europe we can do that easier than you can in the states because we have great sort of central city center infrastructure. Whereas I know in California and LA that you, you know you need a car, you're not going to be um, getting around without that. So how does that look? Um, what would the innovation be? Is it Hyperloop on steroids or something something else? Um, again, innovation will play a big role in um, you know in, in cutting the carbon from cars and making making life uh, palatable and easy for the next uh, for the next stage. So when it, when it comes to innovation, when it comes to change, uh, market change, to you, James, who, who controls the markets, the consumers or the suppliers? It's a very good question. I mean, I'm always I'm always someone who listens to the customer, um, but I'm very aware, particularly in a world where we are very dominated by what Facebook thinks. Um, you know, I think it's 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 a difficult question. So it should be the consumer, <laughs> but is it the purveyor of information? And I, you know, an, an example. I think you have some some listeners in Australia, but I was very dismayed to hear this morning that Facebook have cut a deal with um, Rupert Murdoch's media empire to buy their content in order to be able to put news out in Australia. So effectively, the only lens of news on Facebook in Australia is Rupert Murdoch. Mm. And I'm, I'm not political, particularly, but I'm not making a political point. But I think it is it is ex extremely distressing to hear that news. So. Um, Consumers should, you know, you look at what's going on in Myanmar, and we're getting into a slightly hectic territory here. But you know, the 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 people are saying we're not going to be run by a by a military uh, government, you know, or a, a, a kind of martial law and all of that. So, so there is a theme that I see a lot in our work, and we uh, is is the theme of the activist and um, activists like Greta Thunberg, you know, who I have great admiration for are helping wake up the most um i guess the most enlightened leaders and you know and helping us trigger and stimulate the change that we really really need and we do need a world uh, you know a, a way to kind of unlock some of this um you know into a more equitable world and in, on greta's agenda a, a world where we recognize that the world's on fire and actually do something about it Right. Yes, absolutely. It's got to come from the leadership level, the board decision-making level, the shareholder level, right? Uh, but I'm also of the, of the opinion that, you know, someone that interviews conscious companies on a, on a weekly basis, you know, it's still easy to do unconscious things as a consumer. I'm flawed. I'm a human. I make flawed yeah. decisions all the time. Uh, can we trust and expect that consumers you know, are going to follow these changes, that everyone on the world is going to see, you know, th things differently. And I know that's a big statement, but um, if, if we're really about what change we want, we have to change our perspective and then we have to change our behaviors and behavior change to make better actions is one of the most difficult things to do uh, in, in business, change the consumer's behavior. How have your behaviors changed, James, since you've learned about plant-based meat since you've learned about um 
carbon uh, emissions. How has your behavior changed as you learned about what's going on in the world? So I have radically changed the way I travel. So I fly very little. I still do fly a bit. I fly much, much less to go by train in Europe where I can. I have an electric car sitting here. And some people will say, you know, your battery is you know, not eco-friendly and all of that kind of stuff. But, but what I believe is that people will see me driving it to the school to pick up the kids and they'll be embarrassed about their Range Rovers or BMWs or whatever. And they'll think, actually, maybe I'll get one of those. Um, it looks quite fun. Um, we have, we, we have, sorry. I said smart. <laughs> and um, we have, at home, we, we order, most of our food comes from um, a really cool organization, which is a vegetable box company, which um, the guy started with a wheelbarrow and uh, some onions um, 40 years ago. And now he's got about 150 million turnover. Wow. He recently sold his or gave his um, business to his employees so that they could continue it. So it's employee owned. It's a B corporation and they deliver boxes of vegetables. They came today. It's called Riverford Organic. So we get the majority of our food from there. We eat very little red meat um, or very little meat in the house, which is a big change. Um, I, have, um, I have a little stream in my garden and I'm rewilding that for the, for the nature and all of those kind of things. So, and I buy mainly um, organic kind of or eco-friendly clothes. So I, I'm, there's Patagonia, I've got a lot of that. And then I have, um, there's a lovely brand in Cornwall in the UK, which is down the west called Finisterre, which is a similar, the UK version of Patagonia. There's another Scandinavian brand of jeans called Nudie, which is organic denim. So I think a lot about all of that. <clears throat> um, I haven't managed to stop the relentless deliveries of Amazon. So I, I haven't quite got that out of our right. system in our house, but I'm trying my best. And then, you know, in COVID, of course, it's, it's been, there's no cardboard in Europe anymore because it's all been used for the Amazon deliveries and the um, home deliveries. So I think I'm, you know, doing more than ever I ever have. And, and I probably could do even more, but um, a lot of what I do is, is impacting through our work, through the Springwise network, through the Reset Consultancy, in order to um, persuade people that this is the right path. Can I pick up on one other thing? Because it's, it's really means. important. And you mentioned it at the end of the last question, but it's about leadership and, and the leaders. And where I am really most excited, and I see it in our business and I see it in our client businesses, is the next generation of leaders. So the people who are gonna be you know, the CEOs in five or 10 years. So they're in their 20s, 30s coming through. <clears throat> and I see them with a completely different attitude to people my age. So I'm kind of the age of the, 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 the CEOs of, of the moment. I'm in my mid 50s and the majority of whom I don't think really are taking the purpose agenda very seriously. And I think they're, they've had a great life. We've all had made you know, plenty of money and all of that. But I do see the next generation as being really, I'm really excited by that. And so my, a lot of my mission is to encourage them and help them get set to kind of be the leaders that, um, of, of future businesses where environment and the B Corp values are, are in the center of that. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And your, your, um, 
your fantastic motto, Inspire the Future. I'm inspired by the future of the younger leaders and your generation. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a mix of both. I think it, it's, it's never just one generation. Everyone has to come together at some point, as you know, as well. And I also see it from a lens of, you know, we have to get, and I'm going to say the G word, we have to get greedy about doing good. I think we have to, you know, make products so good and make sure that our customers cannot deny the product so that we can make change in the world. Like, think about it. Facebook, we talked about tech, our dislike for Facebook. Whether we like it or not, we're posting this video on Facebook later on. You know, yeah. we're, you know, we're still eating out of the, the poisonous apple that's, that's given to us. We have like, when is the change going to happen? And it has to come from a better product. It's like a clubhouse coming out. Could that be something that makes those right decisions? The innovation, when we talk about what's the ultimate change you want in the future, that's what innovation is. It's the ultimate objective to change the future. So tech is something that's interesting to me. Because, and, and I'm I just, okay, you're back now. So tech is something that's interesting to me, James. I just want you to just be with me here a little bit while I'm trying to un un unravel my thoughts out of my head with tech. Tech has changed the model. And to me, I think, you know, when you started out and you're learning about entrepreneurship, you know, you're trying to build a product and when you, people think that they find investors first. No, you have to find the customers first. And then, and then you think about Facebook, it's like, wow, they just had all these free customers with no business model. And they're just able to just get investors and just have tons of debt and just grow this thing to a proportion that they now have a monopoly on media in the, in the world. And it's a product of capitalism. So really what we're not fighting here is socialism. It's, it's you know, socialism always been capitalism's, you know, foe. But really, it's the child of capitalism that is going to overtake it right now. And it is an interesting way to think about how we see tech and algorithms and repetitive cycles evolving, taking over human jobs. Really, it's capitalism doing it to itself. So that's something I just want you to marinate on. And I want to hear your thoughts kind of on how you see check, tech being regulated or, or, or it, it maybe changing <clears throat> capitalism in a sense. Wow. It's such a big topic. Um... And the perhaps the most scary is is the kind of the algorithms and the AI and the taking over taking over humanity in a in a in a in a way that is being talked about and whether it'll whether it comes or not. Um, look, I think also the 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 tech investment community who have managed to persuade investors that it's about valuation as opposed to profit, which has completely upended the normal business model. And Amazon, of course, is a great example of that, although of course they they make they do make money now, but the ability to grow businesses that are just based on on valuation because they're tech businesses and and so it, so the capitalist markets are behind all of that mm. um, regulation, I think the EU are doing a reasonably good job uh, Europe are doing a reasonably good job at looking at the some of the the tax implications of the mainly US giants operating in Europe um, and frankly not paying the tax that is due, although legally it is due. It isn't due, you know, legally they're not doing anything wrong, but, but you know, the amount of money that is being spent through those platforms um, and the 
you know, it's 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 the model is wrong because there's no incentive to um, to kind of change it at the moment. And regulation has to be part of that. And so breaking up some of these businesses that are <clears throat> hugely dominant. And in a way, the regulator is is often quite a long way behind the the businesses. So they're playing catch up. Um, and it's it's a it's a massive issue for us. And I mean, you know, the <clears throat> excuse me, the impact on the mental health of young people, in particularly in COVID, mm. of of social media, <clears throat> and the you know the refusal to admit it. Sorry, I've got to drink a bit of water here. No, take your time. <clears throat> excuse me. That's an interesting point. Yeah. I want to stay on there. Continue. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. So is is really dis- disappointing and. I mean, I was in advertising for a while, and you look at the advertising industry, and they're, you know, you talk the products, um, <clears throat> they're selling sugar to kids, you know, wrapped up in nice packaging, and you know, it, of course, it looks nice, and of course, it tastes nice, and it's, you know, brilliantly addictive, and you know, look at the obesity levels, look at the, all of those issues, and social media is a similar, similarly addict, more addictive, and you know there's loads of loads of examples of where it's gone horribly wrong so but on the flip side of course we're enabled by social media and there's a great there's a great a very good side to it as well so it's um it's it's an ongoing debate that needs to be debated it's it's very scary yes because think about it like this and i, I was listening to an episode from uh, the guy who made that that movie on netflix and uh, the social dilemma and he was talking, obviously, he was saying that, you know, the, even the creators of these algorithms don't let their own children use it. That right then and there, we should know how dangerous these things actually are. Uh, but it's also scary in the sense that um, social media uh, is, is so... It, let's just put it this way. We can we we know a magician is doing a trick on us. We know that they know that uh, they they know the the weak parts of our brain. We know that they're doing a trick, yet they're still able to fool us. So when you hear that the customer is actually the consumer of the content, we know yeah. we're the consumer of the content, yet it's still able to trick us. And that's the scariest part for me. We have we can't do anything about it because they know our brain so well. They have it down to a T. Google does as well. Any, hey, you look. I can send an email out and it'll know if it's a promotion, uh, actual primary email, an update, without a, a blink of the eye. So, when it comes to knowing people so well, are are we just gonna go in this continuous cycle? And is there anything to change that? Because this these are things that have evolved for you know humanity and society over hundreds of thousands of years and in 10 you know 20 plus years we've got a system that can figure us out so well and it doesn't look like it's going to be able to change and and the reason for that being is because they're going to continue to make money and they want to continue to make money yeah it's it's terrifying and you know you or i know this and we are we're I mean, I think we, we can say well we know that we've given all this data and you know we'll take it because we want you know google's useful and Social media is useful, etc. And I think that the problem is, you know, is the kids because they don't know that they don't, you know, and how much they say it, they still want to be on, you know, want to be connected, and they are not 
protected properly, which is a massive problem. I think a lot of this is around education and a lot of this conversation actually um, that we're having um, points to a, a kind of a, a reset of the education that children are given to inform them more about some of these inherent dangers, to in, inform them more about climate change and that agenda. Um, there's a topic at my children's school called global awareness, which is a fantastic topic that actually talks about some of these some of these macro issues. Um, and we need to, you know, the, I have lots. Of, I have five children, three children, and two step step children. And my job is their education, and it's not just sending them to school, but it's preparing them for a world in which they can have a happy life and thrive and contribute and all of those things. It's much harder than my day job in my business, and it is the critical, critical thing is is preparing generations for this world where you know it's it's uh there are some evil forces at work and money is the most most evil of all those forces in many ways and we've allowed it to dominate so particularly and i think in the kind of american culture of business it's all about money and there's nothing else there's not even a conversation about anything else i think it's about money i also think it's about shaming i think it's about value shaming think about parenting for a second shaming your your son because or his daughter because they're doing things that are innate to them or don't align with your values it's it's what puts us in these flocks of groups where we we want to be a part of something that's right and you mentioned this at the very beginning of the show is you know reset you know we're taking a different path and i think that's what people need to do is take a different path the past the road less traveled you know, that's, that's what's going to cure this because if we continue to go in this route that's consistent with any human nature cycle, we want to get together, we want to socialize, we want to be popular, we want to be cool, we want to be a part of what's going on. I think COVID is the moment to do it. I think COVID had us locked down as much as I didn't like it. Maybe you didn't like it. Maybe you didn't like it. But it, it's, a, it's a reset for us and to use your, your yeah. great name. To, to really rethink what type of path we're on and to stop the nonsense. Could not agree more. And in my case, I was on a path that was probably not so good and I was working for big corporations and it, it was hard to make the change. And I was, it was three, three, five years ago. So it was before we had the, you know, the opportunity for the COVID reset. And without a doubt, this is a unique, you know, the COVID opportunity, you have to sort of look at it as an opportunity, although of course it's hugely distressing for the people who've been caught up in it and the people who've lost loved ones and people who are still in it. But as a global society and a global group of leaders, if you like, this is the time to grab, grab the opportunity and take that path that is a different path and a path that is you know <clears throat> the right path you know in inverted commas but <clears throat> the path that is going to because we all know i think in the in our heart of hearts we know what the right path is um and to have that positive impact and and again we come back to the point that business is um is so important in the world and it's such a brilliant way of making change happen because it has so many um constituent parts it's got so many people involved in it 
and you have the scale and, and the, the difference between business and government is that business is global. There's no global government, but there is there is global business. Now, a business like Unilever with, with a fantastic CEO, Alan Joke, you know, he's making a lot of great changes globally, and he can do that on a global scale where governments can't. And so we need more of that, and we need to encourage that. Um, and it can be lonely. Um, and sometimes CEOs don't um, don't make it when they're on the purposeful path because the investors get them before they can prove it. But I do believe that, um, you know, I'm convinced that businesses that do take the path less traveled will be the successful ones and they'll be much more resilient going forward. You made an interesting point there that CEOs are lonely. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Could you elaborate for our audience why your position is lonely as a CEO and also maybe how it's unique as a, you know, a socially conscious CEO in that sense? <clears throat> well, look, I'm, I'm really lucky that I have an amazing, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm an amazing co-founder. Sorry about that, Kevin. Um, I have a great co-founder in Sophie and a great team of people around me. So I'm less lonely than others, but I have been in, in corporations where I've been a CEO and I've been very lonely. And I think um, the, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of responsibility. I mean, it comes down to responsibility. And in a way, this whole conversation is about responsibility. It's about all of our responsibility for all that's around us and our, our world and, and all of that. And the responsibility and the accountability is to set the right direction. When you're taking a direction that is untraveled, it is even more, um, you know, and therefore highly risky. Um, it is even more difficult to, um, to do that with confidence and bring people with you. Um, and that's where I think experience is really useful. So the, my confidence came from a lot of experience and I can, I can feel the market well because I'm a, a consumer facing kind of leader. And I can, I know what the, I know what's coming because I can see out and Springwise, of course, is helps us look into the future a little bit. Mm. Uh, but I, I see this transition economy, if you like, transitioning from the old way and into the new way. And that, that means energy consumption, the way we eat, the way we live and all of those things. And to be a consultancy with Reset in the middle of that transition economy, there's so much investment that's going to be going into all of that change that it's going to be a great, it is a great place to be and we're already proving it. But we, we got into it slightly, slightly in advance of that market coming. So it was a bit scary. So that's lonely because you're taking those decisions and essentially you're saying to people, you know, your livelihoods depend on our business and I'm taking you in a direction which is uncomfortable. It's not obvious, it's not a well-trodden path, but we're gonna go for it. And the good news is we've recruited people who are entrepreneurial, so they get it and they want to go for it. And we have a, in our recruitment, we, we say you can't just have done the consultancy, you need to have done something a bit more entrepreneurial and a bit more, bit more scary in your past in order to, to be with us. And then of course we can service our clients better because we have that, you know, we have that understanding of risk and doing things differently. James, it's inspiring to hear uh, you say something like that. And it's a story that is told, unfortunately, too many times. Uh, it's too many times people get to a point in their lives and go, what am I really doing with it? Why aren't I on the right path? And so when it comes to finding the path, what are some things you work on with young entrepreneurs 
you know, wise entrepreneurs, people uh, who want to make a difference, want to make a change in their career? How do you make sure that they are on the right path, as you call it? Look, I spend a lot of time talking to um, younger people and I kind of make it a point that if someone wants advice and they send me an email, then I'll always talk to them. And I find that some of the most rewarding conversations that, um, that I have. And I had one today of a lady who was running a, so she was on the path of not-for-profit. So she was running a, one of the 1% for the Planet char charities and she'd, and she'd moved, she'd stopped doing that and she wanted some advice on, um, you know, what to do next. And, and for me, it's about, you know, thinking about all of the ingredients that are going to make you fulfilled. So it's not a, it, it's a set of ingredients that then turn into a path. And in the end, people need to make their own minds up, but helping them think about those ingredients and helping think about the amount of impact that they're going to be able to have, you know, the amount of money that they need to earn, because we're all, let's face it, we need to, we need to live. Um, so, and then I managed to, she turned a job down because of the conversation and she's gone, you know, gone on to, to keep going to look because she didn't find those ingredients. And that was really nice to hear because everyone's satisfaction is different. But recently I've also spoken to quite a lot of people coming out of university and school and some of those wondering about, you know, what, what path to take and, mm. and, and encouraging them to consider sustainability as a career choice which is relatively new and certainly there's a great foundation on circularity called the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, encouraging them to go Fantastic to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation to, to learn about that, to do a course. And I can say to them confidently, if you do that and then you come back and see me, you know, we're going to be very interested in someone with that qualification. And therefore, we're not the only one because a lot of businesses are building out their sustainability areas. And um, so I so encouraging that, and then we have one fantastic um, lady who's an intern at Reset at the moment, and and she said she was unsure about what she wanted to do, and she said, you know, I'm so excited to be here because, you know, I'm living my purpose every day. This is like amazing. I never thought I could do that in a job, you know, and for me, that's the best output of all is we are encouraging young people to to come with us on this path and. When I'm long gone, they'll be leading the world and, um, you know, and making, making a lot more impact. And we would have started that. Well, let's hope. Let's hope. I hope they, you know, can make that decision during that inception point uh, before they go down a, a path uh, that wasn't theirs to begin with. Uh, James, you just said responsibility is a, is a major theme of this discussion. I think that's spot on. I think most of the conversations we've talked about today really boils down to that responsibility at either level uh, of, of a value chain or your stakeholders. So James Bidwell, the last question I have for you today on this show is what is your definition of a real leader? So in a nutshell, it's, 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 it's a leader with purpose and that, um, because it's um that's that's what a real leader is and a, and a real leader you should be able to look at them and understand what their purpose is and they should be showing that in everything they do and a really good leader is one that has the right purpose <laughs> exactly right well let's let's work on those purpose statements folks uh, after this episode uh thank you for being here today uh, folks, I'm listening to this conversation with uh, James. James, appreciate you coming on. I knew this was going to be an interesting discussion today. Uh, we went everywhere around the show, and I hope that people enjoy it as much as I did. So for James Bidwell, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, lead with purpose, 
And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, James. Thank you, Kevin. It's been brilliant. All right. And thank you, good people, for hanging on to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with James Bidwell. We hope you enjoyed it. And folks, if you want to hear the rest of James's answers, well, you have to be a part of our free community where you can unlock access to live interviews and ask the guests your direct questions after the show. All you have to do to register for an upcoming episode is go online to realleaders.com slash podcast and click on any upcoming interview. Also, folks, if you're listening to this episode on Apple Podcasts, please help a leader out and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked, what you thought about the episode, and how we can improve. And lastly, if you know of any leader who is driving change in your community, please email us directly at b at real-leaders.com. That's b-e at real-leaders.com. That's it for me. Thanks for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode.